We will be in 1 Thessalonians this morning, page 986 and 987 in your pew Bibles. We have been walking through Paul's letters, reminding us again of of our walk through, our journey through Acts. Um, Looking back now at the journey through Acts, the narrative that we have of where Paul went and, and how his travels went, and that then gives us a picture of of where he was and and why, really, why he wrote these letters. The first letter that Paul writes in the journey, as as he journeys through his missionary journeys, was to the the churches in Galatia. He wrote an exasperated letter to the churches in Galatia, trying to, to help them to see that circumcision was not needed for Gentile believers. And we walked through that and walked through how that related to the, to the story in Acts chapter 15, where the church council got together. The second letter, the second letter that Paul writes is to the church in Thessalonians, or the church in, in Thessalonica, First Thessalonians is the book, he writes this letter, if you remember, to the church in Thessalonica. He had, a, he had an experience there in his second missionary journey. And so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But he had an experience in his second missionary journey where he came in to Thessalonica and, and preached there for, for three weeks in the synagogue, reasoning there for three weeks before a Jewish mob came and chased him out. And you can see on the map of, of the, go ahead to the next map, the second, this is the second missionary journey. He crossed over. If you remember, he had a dream where the Macedonian man called him, called Paul and Silas to come over into Macedonia. And so he does. They go into Philippi. He's, he's jailed in Philippi. The earthquake comes. The jailer comes to know Jesus. He moves on then to, to Thessalonica. And it's there uh, that, that he starts this church. A mob is raised up, and, and the mob says, these are the men who are, who are stirring up things all over the world. The world has been turned upside down, if you remember that part in Acts. It's in chapters 17 and 18. The world's been turned upside down by these men. Paul and Silas and Timothy, who's with them at this point, continue on in their journey, and they settle into the town of, of Corinth. And when they get to Corinth... Uh, Paul is remembering the churches that he's walked through. He, he had this desire to go back and to visit them, probably much like he did in his first missionary journey where he went one way and then he went back the opposite way, visiting all those same churches again. I'm sure that's his desire here, but he's not been able to do that. And so he's been in Corinth for a couple of years, and during that time, he wants to know, how is the church in Thessalonica doing? And so he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. He wants to hear how they're doing. He wants to hear what God has been doing in that church. And so he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica. Timothy goes to Thessalonica, sees how they're doing, spends some time with them. And then Timothy comes back to Corinth, back to Paul. And he gives a report. That all is before we get to this letter. That's, that's all the history that comes to this letter. Timothy then shares that report with Paul. He says, things are going well in Thessalonica. The church there is growing. The believers there are strong. He gives an encouraging report to Paul. And Paul hears it. He hears all these things that Timothy is telling him. And Paul is so encouraged by it. He's so encouraged by what Timothy is telling him that Paul decides he wants to write a letter to send back to Thessalonica to, to, to share with them how encouraged he is by what's been happening in their church. 
about the good report that Timothy brought to him. You can, you can read much of that is found in 1 Thessalonians, the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. Paul says all of those things I've just told you. I got this great report from Timothy. He's telling me all of these things. We wanted to be there, but we couldn't. And so now I'm writing you this letter. And he spends time, Paul spends time in these first couple of chapters, in chapters 1 and 2 and 3, really just praising the good report that he got from Timothy, praising the church in Thessalonica, and, and sharing with them, rejoicing with them about the way that the gospel is at work in the church. And I shared with you a couple of, a couple of weeks ago just a few things that we saw things that Paul was praising, rejoicing with the Thessalonians, that we also, the Thessalonians, that we also, that we also want to join in on. Because all of Scripture is God-breathed, and so, and it's useful for all the church, so even us here at Richland in 2023, we can read and grow and be reminded from the letter that's sent to the church in Thessalonica. So he shares, Paul shares a couple of things. He said, he said the gospel, he rejoices because the gospel's taken root in the church in Thessalonica. It's transforming the believers in the Thessalonian church. And Paul rejoices in that. He rejoices that the transformation that's happening, the gospel transformation that's happening in them is producing gospel declarations and reflections of the glory of God in the church in Thessalonica. Those gospel declarations are pointing towards the glory of God, Paul says in chapter 2. And he rejoices because God's word is sufficient in the midst of their suffering. Those are some of the things that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. There's a turn now in chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians. In fact, the, the turn actually begins with Paul saying he, he, he's given all of these rejoicings. He's given all of these things he's encouraged about. He's given this encouraging report to them. And then he says, finally then, brothers, let me sum up here with two more chapters, he says. And he begins to exhort them. He begins to answer a few questions that Timothy has brought to him there in Corinth that he wants them to understand and to know. And so he says, finally then, brothers, we're going to ask and urge you to walk and to please God just as you are doing and to do so even more, he says in chapter 1, verse 1. To walk and to please God and to do it even more. That's what these last couple of chapters are. This, this, this exhortation that he gives here in these last two chapters, in chapters 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians, is to just remind them, do what you're doing. God is already at work in you. God is already transforming you. The gospel is already awake and alive in your life. And so continue to do what's already been happening. And he does it in, in three ways that I want to look at this morning. I think there's three specific ways that he says you are walking and pleasing God. He says, he says, keep walking and pleasing God in the way that you fight sin. He says, keep walking and pleasing God, I think, in the way that you love others. And keep walking and pleasing God in the way that you hope, the way that you wait in hope, I think, are the three areas that he talks about here in these last couple of chapters. He says it first here in chapter 4. He says, Keep walking and pleasing God. Do it more and more, he says in verse 1. Because 
keep walking and doing it in the ways that you fight sin. And he talks very specifically about the way that they fight sin here in chapter 4. He starts right away. He says, you know the instructions that we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And then he says in verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God for you. This is the will of God, your sanctification. God wills for your sanctification. Now, that's a pretty big word. We've talked about it. You, you probably know a little bit about sanctification. But Paul is clear. This is God's will for you, your sanctification, your sanctification. One of the things that we talk about, that we talk about often at Richland, is the process that we go through in our salvation. There's a moment There is a moment where we come to faith. There is a moment where we move from death to life. There's a moment where we go from blind to sight, from lost to found. There's a moment where we go from bound to hell to bound for heaven. There's a moment. That's our justification. There's a moment where we are saved. And some of us know. Some of us know that exact moment. We know the moment that our eyes were opened. We know the moment that that the gospel became real to us. Some of us know that moment. Some of us don't. Some of us just know that, that our eyes became more and more opened, and somewhere in that process of our eyes opening, there was a moment, but we don't know when it was. It was a process of God revealing to us the gospel. But there is a moment, a justification moment. There will be another moment at the end, There's going to be another moment where we come face to face with Jesus. There's going to be another moment where we come to the very end and everything will be made right. Everything will be made perfect. We will be made perfect. That's the glorification. But the process in between justification and glorification, that's sanctification. You've seen it. If you're a member there's an illustration, I think it's going to be on the screen. There's a, there's a picture, an illustration that, that gives us that. We talk about it in our membership classes. There's a moment we come to faith. That's our justification. There's a moment when we're going to meet Jesus in the very end. As the Thessalonians, as, as Paul writes the Thessalonians, it may come in a moment when, when, when the trumpets sound and Jesus appears and we are all raised to join him. It might be that moment. It might be. It might be like the other Thessalonians that Paul talks about who, who have died, have passed on, have been buried into the ground. And in that moment, we become glorified. But the process in the middle is our sanctification. And the sanct- our sanctification is, is a process. It's a process, but it's also a moment. We are... We are, as when we become justified, when our sins are forgiven, we become a child of the king. We become a saint. Our sins are entirely forgiven. And we become, we become in the process of being more and more glorified, I mean more and more conformed into the image of Jesus, more and more headed towards our glorification, we become a full-fledged, child of a king. And so we are becoming what we already are all at the same time. 
Paul says to the Thessalonians, God wills, God wills for your sanctification. He wills for this process of becoming more and more like Jesus, this process of becoming more and more conformed into the image of the Son, this process of throwing off the things of our old life and putting on the fruits of the Spirit, the ways that God has called us, of throwing off our own sinful and selfish desires and putting on the commands of God. God wills for us to be sanctified. And that process, that process is different for all of us. And it was different even for the Thessalonian church, the church in Thessalonica, than it is for you and I. And yet, it was eerily similar. In Thessalonica, they, they uh, had a number of different ways that they battled with, with um, sex trade, to, to just be blunt, there was, there was a number of, of, of um, there was a number, there was a, there was a, there was a number of, of houses of ill repute that, that people could visit, men especially could visit. There was also um, worship spots, temples that were set up to the goddess of Athena and, and to other goddesses as well where there would have been been lots of sexual activity that would have been happening in that place. And, and in, in Thessalonica, it would have been all over the place. Sex would have been everywhere. And so one of the places that Paul goes to right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is, is when he be, talks about battling sin, he, he begins to say, this process of sanctification for you is to battle against, to be contrary to, what's normal in your city and in your society. We've talked about this before, but, but in Greek culture, they would, have, they would have tried to separate body and, and soul. They would have tried to separate their body from their soul. When we talked about it, when we were in First John, we talked about it, uh, that they tried to do that for Jesus. It was, it was called docetism at that point. When we walked through that, that terminology. But the idea that, that the, the, the desires that our body has, the, 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 the longings that we have in our flesh, especially as we talk about sexuality, the desires that we have in our flesh are so strong. And you and I, we, we know it. The, the, the church in Thessalonica knew it. Every, Paul knows it. He knows how strong those desires are. And the Greeks... They knew how strong those desires were too, and they and they and they understood. They understood that they were were sinful, and so they had to separate. They had to separate this physical longings that they had to to have fulfilled, and the desires that they had in their in their flesh from their soul, so that they could could believe that their souls could be pure. Because they knew that their bodies and the desires that they had in their bodies were not. And so they tried to separate those two things in the Greek culture. And Paul, Paul is saying here that, that there's no separating of those two things. We have this sinful desire in us, and that's one of the things that we have to battle. It's one of the things that we have to fight against. We can't just give in to it in one part, hoping 
hoping that we can separate out our bodies and that whatever happens in our bodies we can put over here and, and not worry about that and just hope that our soul is right with God. He's saying all of it matters, that we have to fight. And so he's saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, he says, fight this pull of sin in your body. Fight this pull of sin. He says, we are called, you and I, he says, are called to holiness, not to impurity. We're called to sanctification, not to immorality. Fight this natural pull of sin. Those of you who are children of the light, we are not in the darkness anymore. We are children of the light. For children of the light, we fight darkness. The pull, there's lots of ways that our selfishness begins to show up in, in who we are. But the pull of this physical desire, this pull of sexual satisfaction is really the epitome of our own selfishness and our own sinfulness. It's the epitome of of wanting our own way, of giving in to our own desires. And so Paul says, you have to fight this. You have to fight this. He, he even says in, in, in chapter, or chapter 4, verse 6, he even, he even alludes to this, but he says, even, even those of you who, who are, are in a, in a consensual sexual relationship, even when both of you want to be a part of it, for any person that's in a consensual sexual relationship but is unmarried, you're sinning against your brother. You're not even loving your brother well when you're in this relationship, even though it might be consensual. You're sinning against your brother. And so he says, fight this. Fight this natural desire, tendency that you have in your body. But he doesn't just leave it there, praise God. He doesn't just say, fight harder. Work harder. Concentrate more. But here, at the end of this section, he tells us in verse 8, he says, Therefore, whoever disregards this, this call to holiness, to fight impurity, he says, whoever disregards this, disregards not only man, but he disregards God, because he gives his Holy Spirit to you. The hope that we have to fight sin and selfishness, not just in our sexual desires, and in our sexual impurities, but in all of our sin, the hope that we have is that God has given his Holy Spirit to us. Yes, we have innate physical desires. We have sinfulness, selfishness that's inside of us, but God has given his Holy Spirit to you. He doesn't just say try harder. He says, I'm going to put my spirit in you to conform you, to transform you from the inside out. You have hope because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. You have help because I'm at work in you. And Paul says, Paul says, if you disregard this, if you, if you give in to this impurity and this immorality, if you run from holiness and sanctification, 
You're disregarding God. You're disregarding the spirit that he's put inside of you. You have hope because you have help. So he says, continue doing what you're doing. Fight sin the way that you are fighting it with the help of God and his spirit at work in you. Paul also says, you're walking and you're pleasing God. Continue to do it. You're doing it well in the ways that you fight sin. But he says, continue to do it well in the way that you love others. That's the second part here in this first part of chapter 4. He says, you love others. In fact, in fact, as he says it, he says, um, you're, you're, you're doing it, you do it so well. Now concerning brotherly office, says in verse 9, he says, you have no need for anyone to write to you. I don't, I don't even need to talk to you about this because you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And indeed, what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, he says, he says, you're doing it so well, you're loving one another so well, you're loving your brothers so well that everyone in your area, all of Macedonia, knows about it. So keep doing it, he says. Do what you're doing. Love like you're loving. He gives them a couple of helpful things, I think. Aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs. Keep working hard, he says. But love one another. Love each other because that's the way that the world begins to see God's work that's in us begin to come out of us is in the ways that we love one another. There's really, there's, there's two tensions in this. Paul doesn't talk about this in 1 Thessalonians, but he talks about it often. He says, he says there's, this, there's this tension that as, as believers... As believers, the way that we live and the things that we do, they're different than the world. In fact, it's so different that Paul, Paul in another letter says, says the gospel is, is, is foolishness to the rest of the world, to those who are perishing. Like, they don't, they don't understand how you're living. They don't understand how you're loving. They don't understand how you're fighting sin. They don't understand it. And so, so there's this, this tension about how we are to to draw away from the world around us. But Paul also tells us, Paul also commands us, especially in his, in his pastoral letters where he writes to Timothy and to Titus, he says, you are to be well thought of by others, by outsiders. You are to be well thought of by outsiders. So those, those who are outside of the church, those who are outside of the gospel, those, they, they should look at you and, and, and not, they're gonna see that you're different. They're gonna see that you're separate but it shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be a negative thing, I think, is what Paul is saying. But they should see the way that you love each other and the way that you love others and instead are drawn to the gospel, not repulsed by it, not pushed away by it, but they're drawn to it. So Paul says, you're walking and pleasing God. Keep doing it. Keep fighting sin the way that you're fighting sin. Keep loving others the way that you've been doing. Continue to do that. But then he says, and he spends some time on it both in chapter four and in chapter five, he says, continue to wait in hope. He tries to encourage them to continue walking and pleasing God in the way that they wait in hope. There's two issues, really, that, that Timothy brought back to Paul about the Thessalonian church. Two things that were happening for these early believers. If you remember, even, even as we walked through Acts, 
If you remember from the very beginning of Acts, Jesus ascends into heaven. He, he, says, he, said, he says to all the, the, the disciples, to all those who are with him, he says, go, go into Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He says, this is your, I, I'm calling you to do this. And then he ascends into heaven. And, and if you remember, the disciples, they all stand and they just, they wait. They just look into heaven. And finally, an angel appears and says, says why, why are you still here looking into heaven? The, the, go. And the disciples, even the early believers, they have this expectation that Jesus is going to come any moment. We, we, need to wa- we need to wait. We need to watch for him. He could come at any moment. It's prevalent all over in the early church. But here in Thessalonica, it's really prevalent. There's two things that have happened. One is that there's a number of believers that are in the church who they, they believe that Jesus is going to come at any moment. And so they have given up doing their normal daily life things. They have quit their job. They have given up the things that they were doing before. They have, they have just settled in, and they are waiting, waiting for Jesus to come back because they know it's going to be soon, and so there's no need. There's no need for them to work. There's no need for them to save. There's no need for them to, to prepare for the future because Jesus is coming back at any moment. And the second thing the second thing that's happened is that there have been a number of people in the, in the Thessalonican church that, that have passed away since, they, since Paul was there, since the church began. They, they came, they accepted Jesus, they thought that Jesus was going to come at, back at any moment, but, but they passed away before that. And now they're buried. And the, some of the believers in this Thessalonian church, they, they, can't under, they can't wrap their mind around that. No one should have died. Jesus was to come back. Those of us who believed in Jesus as our Savior, those of us who had placed our trust in him, he's going to return and take us home. And so what is going to happen now to those who really did believe but have now passed away? And so Timothy brings those two questions, those, those, those two scenarios to Paul, and so he responds to him here in these chapters. And he starts, he starts first by telling them, get to work, is really, and he said that in this, in this last portion that we looked at. Keep working. Don't mooch off others. Don't get into other people's business. He says, continue to live your life. Continue to live your life. He says, Christ's return when it comes will be un." mistakable. You'll know when Jesus comes back. But until then, continue to work. And then he says, he says, and this is a, a, a passage here in chapter 4 that, that you probably know well, you hear often at, at, at funerals, don't grieve like those who have no hope, he says in chapter 4, verse 13. Don't grieve like those who have no hope. He says, you believe that Jesus died and rose again. And through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So those who have gone before us, it's not hopeless. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. Instead, instead we look to Jesus. We have hope even for those who have passed. For those who have rested in Christ, we have hope. Don't grieve like those who have no hope. And then he continues on to say, The dead are going to raise like delegates 
to come before the king. When Jesus Christ comes, the graves will open, the dead will rise, and they will be there as well. Then he says, for those who are wondering when he's going to come, we don't know. But he'll come in a quote that you may have heard often. He is going to come like a thief in the night. We don't know when. We don't know why. Or we don't know where. We don't know when. But he's going to come. And the rest of what Paul says here, he says, he's going to come. We don't know when. But don't fret about it. Don't worry about it. He says, he says it in verse 4. He says, he says, you are not in darkness, brothers. That day, that day is going to surprise you like a thief. But you don't need to worry about it. You are not in darkness. Then he goes on. He says, uh, for those who sleep, in verse 7, for those who, who sleep, they sleep at night. Those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. Verse 8, he says, but since we belong to the day, we're not in darkness. We belong to the day, and so let us be sober. We've put on the breastplate of faith. We've put on the helmet of salvation. God has not destined us for wrath. But instead, he has destined us to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't worry about that day, he says. For those of you that are in this process of sanctification that God wills for you, this moment between justification and glorification, Don't worry. You're not in darkness, but are instead in light. God has destined us not for wrath, but instead to obtain salvation. So wait in hope, Paul says. Wait in hope and encourage other believers to do the same. Live a life of encouragement, encouraging other believers to do the same. He closes he closes there in chapter 5 with just a few quick hit things. Right at the end, he's, he's, he's finishing his letter. He's given the main points. And then he just wants to throw in a few more things. And those of you who are living in the light, he says there's a few more things for you to remember. Respect and love others. Encourage those around you. Seek their good. Pray. Rejoice. Give thanks. Abstain from evil. And then he closes as the worship team comes this morning. He closes chapter five with this. He says there's a God in verse 23 who has come to sanctify you and to keep you blameless. He who has called you to that sanctification, he will surely do it. What a promise. What a promise for the church in Thessalonica. And what a promise for us this morning as well. God has come to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus and to keep us blameless. Paul gives hope to the Thessalonians. He gives hope to us at Richland. God will do it. God is doing it. And God has already done it for us who have trusted in Christ. We've been healed and we have hope this morning because the Spirit is at work in us and Christ has paid the price for us. Stand with me as we worship this morning.
Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it.
thanks for coming this morning.